Hello and welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Uh, today I have on Robert Allen Pepitone, who is the uh, treasurer of the Arizona Libertarian Party. He's ran for office here in Arizona uh, four times, and uh, yeah, we had an awesome conversation. Um, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I've been really trying to dive deep into local politics and learn about the political scene here in Arizona. Um, you know, partially because I, I feel like influencing local government into accepting uh, Bitcoin-friendly laws is good, but before I can start lobbying, I'd have to talk to <laughs> and understand the political scene a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty interesting. He's got a, a really good view on it as far as like how the two-party system really, you know, just seeks to eliminate any sort of competition um, and the local Arizona uh, Republicans have made it very difficult for libertarians to run on the ticket and that goes um, for the same anywhere you know there's a dominant party and there's a third party that they deem as a threat of taking votes away from them um, they'll make it very difficult for them to get on the ballot um, we saw that with the Green Party this year when Democrats really on a national level really tried to uh, get them off of uh, the ballots nationally and and they weren't able to get on every state's ballot which is just you know kind of a major bummer um personally i am very uh anti-politics like it just drives me insane but to a certain degree it affects our lives and i think it's something that for me i wanted to learn more about and uh yeah, um, I'm excited about what's going on with the local Arizona Libertarian Party. I was able to go to a Joe Jorgensen rally and meet some people, and it was a lot of fun. So um, anyways, I hope you enjoyed this interview, and have a good one. All right, we're recording. Good to have you on, Robert. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Alex. So yeah, it's awesome to have you here so you're um the treasurer of the uh arizona libertarian party how long have you been doing that for so i was just elected to my third term um so just over you know touch over four years um each term is two years long so this will be you know when i wrap this one up it'll be six awesome mm-hmm. what 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 led you to getting involved with the arizona libertarian party so believe it or not, it was a Democrat and it started, but not even in, uh, involving politics. Um, in my area, I live in a, a little suburb of Phoenix called Levine. And um, we have a little community barbecue every year that helps raise some money for some organizations. <clears throat> and I was complaining about um, how it wasn't as good as it used to be. And um, this, a family friend of ours happened to be um, on the board for that organization and said, well, what are you doing to fix it? And that just sparked something in me. And so I got started getting more involved. Um, and that ultimately led to, you know, going to county, county party meetings, and meeting, you know, a lot of the people who are currently serving as officers, and just just getting involved. So that really pushed me, you know, that was, you know, a solid two years before I ever um, went to a county party meeting, but I knew that that was part of it, right, to get out from behind the computer and to actually try and make a difference. So uh, that was that was really the drive was a, a Democrat saying, what are you doing to fix it? And me saying, 
oh shit all i really i'm sorry am i allowed to i'm not sure yeah, if i'm yeah. allowed to say this okay yeah, um you know I, I was like oh oh shit am i i'm not really doing anything other than trolling on the internet you know i'm not doing any much more than posting memes right like and so that really pushed that really pushed me to get more involved gotcha well to be fair we can't discount the power that memes have in shaping for uh, sure <laughs> You know, it's the modern, you know, memes are just the modern political cartoon, right? Like newspapers are, are pretty much dead. Social media is taken over. And so instead of having the traditional um, political cartoon, the political tar- cartoonist, you have internet memes. And oh my gosh, like, you know, A, you know, first of all, people understand it because it's culturally outside of just politics too. And so people get, you know, they're, they're easy to understand and accept what a meme is outside of inside or outside of politics. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember in 2016, all, all the memes that uh, were coming out with Trump and uh, the one of him uh, destroying, it was that, that video of him at the WWE and it had CNN <laughs> plastered over it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like hitting it with a chair or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was so that meme was apparently so powerful that uh, CNN felt pretty threatened by it. And it was just some guy on the internet that had a little bit of editing software and skills. And he apparently really scared some powerful people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like we, we have memes that people make of at work, right? So at my job, you do something, you'll end up getting a meme made of you. So one of my coworkers made a meme. I have a project I'm working on where um, it, it's called the zombie project. And so she, she photoshopped my face onto like um, one of the guys from the main guy from uh, the walking dead. I, I don't know why I can't think of his name, the, the sheriff guy photoshopped my face onto him and like put me with a background of a bunch of zombies and i'm like oh my god <laughs> and it's now on the wall in office for everybody to see yeah it's uh it's so much fun to do stuff like that but yeah uh, to, so let's, let's talk about like um so you, you felt the importance of getting involved in uh the political process and um what what does the arizona libertarian party do here in arizona Sure. So our main goal is obviously to win elections and run candidates and spread the message of liberty, of liberty, excuse me. Um, you know, it's made difficult. You know, we have roadblocks. There's legislation that's put in our way. There's fundraising issues. There's tons of things that happen. There's, you know, just a, a bandwidth of volunteers or the number of volunteers that are always, always obstacles that we have to overcome. Um, we're working on those. Every, every election cycle is different. It's a constant evolving process um laws change every every cycle and so just things you have to learn and do differently and and grow from um our our mission right now is you know we we were lucky enough in in 2020 we grew from 32,000 registered libertarians to over 38,000 registered libertarians and so we've seen tremendous growth over the past year so we know that the message is resonating um we hope we continue that trend you know if we could grow by 17% every year, I, I don't have to probably explain compound interest to you, but I mean that, you know, that it's the same concept. If we could grow by 17% every year, we would be a real p- political force. And already legislatures across the country are changing election laws to try and keep us off the ballot. 
Um, they've done it here in Arizona in 2015. They're doing it now in Indiana because of the success of their governor, can the, the gubernatorial candidate in Indiana. Yeah, I, I saw that and I, I've been hearing that. I was just listening to an interview that you were in uh, where you were talking about how the Republican Party uh, took or made it pretty much impossible for you to be on the ballot when you ran in 2016. Um, mm -hmm. What what happened with that? So what had happened is in uh, in 2014, there was a, a, a congressional race between the duopoly candidates was Kirsten Sinema and I honestly don't recall who the Republican is because they lost. So who cares? Um, but the, there was a libertarian in that race, um, Pal Gamble, who uh, covered the gap, the spread between those two, those two. And the Republican Party assumed that, uh, wrongfully so, that if our candidate wasn't on the ballot, that every single one of his votes would have gone to their candidate and they would have won that congressional seat. Well, first of all, that's not true. That's, you know, most libertarians, if they didn't have a libertarian to vote for, they wouldn't vote. Um, but it's very presumptive of them to assume that we would have voted for him anyways. Maybe they would have voted for cinema. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what was in the hearts of all of those, those voters. What happened from that is the, because the Republican Party was so upset, in 2015, they changed the law here in Arizona about how our signature, um, how many signatures we have to gather is changed how they calculate the number. It used to be a half of a percent of your party's registration in that district. So in my district, I live in um, the Levine area <clears throat> and I currently have about 617 or so. Uh, I don't know how the current numbers in front of me, but uh, you know, I have about 617 um, uh, registered libertarians. So it's a very low threshold if I had to get half a percent of our party to get on the ballot. The same as it's a very low threshold and very easy threshold for Democrats or Republicans to get access to the to the ballot. Well, they ch they changed how they calculate that number, and what they did is they started including independents. Now, independents in my district outnumber are actually the second largest group voting group. It it would be Democrats and then independents and then Republicans and Libertarians. And so, what that did is it effectively increased my signature requirements from three or 13 or whatever, you know, their low, the low number would have been. Um, and it raised it to 174, 176, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it just increased it by, you know, 20 X. Right. And they did that intentionally because um, it, it made it a, a, a much harder for us to get access to, but it also didn't really affect the Republicans or Democrat parties very, very much. Um, it solely was was effect, uh, was planned and executed to affect our party and keep us off the ballot. And that's largely what's happened. Uh, we have not been able to get a partisan um, office um, on the ballot, <clears throat> um, partially, mostly because of signature requirements, but even in cases where we have met the signature requirements. Um, in 2018, we had a, a gubernatorial candidate, uh, Kevin McCormick, who reached the, the signature requirements and he was sued off the ballot by none other than the Arizona GOP chairman, Jonathan Lyons at the time. Now he's not the chairman anymore. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they will fight dirty. They will do anything they can to keep you off the ballot. Uh, we sued um, for relief in that case um, to try and get to, you know, keep our candidates on the ballot. 
that case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And of course, uh, like is typical, the Supreme Court refused to hear a ballot access case based on a third party. And they have not heard a ballot access case from a third party now for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's becoming apparent to people is how, um, like, you know, we have a really cool and interesting system in regards to like the checks and balances and, and the way that it's where it works. Like, you know, at the time of our country's founding, it was a very revolutionary idea moving away from monarchy and, um, you know, really allowing for a better governance model that was more empowering to people. But, you know, it seems like we've just kind of devolved into um, a uh, system that, you know, is an oligarchy, you know, where it's ran by like, you know, some people sitting in a smoke f- smoke filled room behind closed doors wearing suits um, and really just, you know, screwing over the little guy, you know, and, and that's apparent, like, that's a story that kind of like, you know, feeds a narrative like that of like, there's these powerful parties uh, trying to eliminate competition. You see that with big tech, you see that, you know, pretty much everywhere you look right now, you know, Wall Street um, is really frustrating for people. I think people feel really disenfranchised as a result of that. Um, and, you know, the Supreme, I, I like Murray Rothbard a lot. Um, he's one of my favorites. Um, but he, he describes in his book, The Anatomy of the State, as the courts essentially being like um, a self-refereeing mechanism where you have, you know, these, um, you know, they're a part of government, you know. And so like the Supreme Court just taking a case like that and throwing it out, it's kind of like there's the people playing against the government in this scenario um and they're the ones refereeing the game yeah <laughs> and it's just unfair right. yeah imagine if um you know the super bowl's coming up right so imagine if the um referees wore jerseys for one of the teams and that's exactly what happens in our in our court systems is their political appointees is basically what they are. They've scratched enough backs and they have the right ideology and they are good enough that they can pass off to, um, to be elected or appointed to those positions. Right. And that's largely what we have is, is, uh, you know, we don't have a system where um, people are, they, the judges are actually fighting for what's best for the country or what makes, what's the fairest, you know, choice to make or decision to make. They're, they're there to protect their, uh, on political interests of their own parties that they're, uh, you know, the, the jerseys that they're wearing, if you would, if you would. And it's the same thing. You, like you said, you see it in every market. Um, it's the same. It's no, it's no different than seeing Budweiser and Coors and Miller Lite and everybody else buying up all these small breweries, right? And you see that all the time so that they have more shelf space. Um, as long as they can get their products there, they can push out the competition. And it's the same. It works the very same way in politics. They uh, have stacked the deck in their favor. They have changed laws and, and built laws uh, and worded them in ways to make it seem fair. But really, the effect of them is that it benefits their own, uh, the duopoly, right? The, their, those old parties. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, dis- it, it, demoralizing, I think, is, is the best word. So, you know, what do people do with that? You know, you realize that we're playing a rigged game, you know, we're the losers in this situation. Like, what do you do with that? You know, 
Yeah. I mean, it is demoralizing. I've run for office enough times. I've been on, you know, I've, I've run for office now four times myself um, for state house and for most recently the um, city of Phoenix city council. And um, it is hard. You're fighting against an establishment um, machine that's there to protect its own interest. And really, you know, you have two options. You can, uh, you know, you have a lot of um, people who have libertarian ideology, and you probably see this a lot in the Bitcoin community, uh, where you know they they don't they they don't trust government and they don't want government involved in their life, right? You get a lot of that, but they're not willing to vote and they're not willing to get active and they're not willing to participate. And I understand the frustration. I understand why where they come from with that. The problem is, is politics is not going to let up on you. Right, you can't just opt out of everything. They're going to change the laws. They're going to eventually affect you in some way, and so you know, I just, I can't, I can't in my own conscious leave a world where I didn't fight for what I believe in. And if I left, if I left this world and it was worse off, I could at least say, well, at least I fucking tried. Um, I don't want, you know, I have a, I have a daughter, and I don't want to leave a world that's worse off than the one I came into. Uh, just the same way I wouldn't want to leave anything, you know, anytime I step into a situation, I wouldn't want it to be worse off because I was there. And I feel the same way about, you know, our government and the, the way our world works and the way our world functions. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it's very, um, um, I don't want to say disheartening, but it definitely is. It definitely is something that you have to be cognizant of. You're going to have the up and ups and downs. If you decide to get involved in, in, um, politics in some way, you're going to have some crushing defeats. You're going to put hours and hours and hours into canvassing or um, stuffing envelopes or uh, making phone calls for candidates or whatever you're going to, whatever your choice you're going to decide to do, whatever le level you're going to decide, you're going to have disappointment. And it's no different than, you know, getting broken up with or, um, you know, being turned down for a promotion or a raise or something like that, where it, it really does is a gut punch. In politics, though, you just have to get back up and keep going for it. Because again, the machine's not going to give up on itself. And so, um, you know, we, we'd like to say it's going to topple itself. But what we've seen is that they will do whatever they can to grasp at power and keep themselves in power as long as they can. And they will change laws, they will manipulate currencies, they will do whatever they can. Um, to to stay in power yeah yeah it's uh i mean that's pretty inspiring to listen to and i think one of the things that uh has been pretty groundbreaking this week is what's happened with reddit you know where people are starting to understand how much power that they actually do have to be able mm -hmm. to create change and you know there's going to be some major pushback against them i think the sec is going to get involved and there's going to be you know, it's going to be a net negative for um, these guys on Reddit, but they, they literally took Wall Street and brought them to their knees, you know, these powerful people managing billions of dollars. And it was just, you know, when I think Wall Street bets at the beginning of the week had like maybe 3 million people on it. And right now it's like something like 5 million people armed with $600 stimulus checks, just clicking buy buttons <laughs> on Robinhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's an interesting concept, right? Like uh, people are using, you know, potentially, you know, like you said, their stimulus checks, their $600 stimulus checks to buy, you know, GameStop 
stocks or uh, Blockbuster or whatever, you know, whatever the, the thing is, you know, what's interesting is that Robinhood is, um, is their main investor is, um, is it called Citadel? Mm-hmm. Citadel, who, um, who is the, who is the group that loaned the, the people who lost, you know, billions of dollars, they loaned them the money in order to buy those stocks to short it in the first place. And so um, Citadel really pushed and for, I'm, you know, I, speculation on the, my part, you know, the, the accusation is that Citadel pressured Robinhood to stop, to stop them from trading GameStop stocks. And the truth, I mean, there's some truth to that possibly, who knows, uh, you know, there's a, um, there's a uh, clash action lawsuit that's being filed against them for that now for, um, you know, for stopping trading. But, and the truth is that the New York Stock Exchange themselves also, I believe, stopped trading on GameStop stock, I believe, nine times on Monday and five times on Tuesday. Um, maybe it's seven and five, but I, I think it was nine and five. And so, you know, there was some volatility there that raised some red flags. And, you know, that's going to happen when something happens, like, you know, as quickly as it did, right? When you have Redditors and it spreads like wildfire and, it, and it, everybody wants to, you know, everybody has FOMO about it. They don't want to miss out on, you know, being part of something that's kind of historic. And, it, and it, you know, it's really interesting. Curious to see what happens from it. Um, obviously, there's the lawsuits in place. There was a lot of shutdowns that happened. They stopped, they stopped trading and a bunch of other stuff. What people also don't realize is that when you buy and sell trade, buy and sell stocks, um, that a lot of those stocks don't even exist you're borrowing them from people who actually own them to buy and sell them. So that was one of the biggest problems with, with this current, with this um, system that happened with GameStop is they were shorting stocks that didn't even exist on the market to buy or sell. And so they had millions and millions of dollars of stocks that didn't exist. And people were trying to buy stocks that didn't, don't really truly exist. So it's just a very interesting system. I don't, you know, it's, it sounds like a, um, what is it where uh, the, the, you know, the banks can, you know, they, they take a savings and they can loan it out 10 X, you know, what's um, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm fractional my... reserve banking, fractional reserve bank. It's very similar to that, but with stocks. And so I think it's kind of telling it's to see how, how that would work with could work potentially with baking with, you know, like something like quantitative quantitative easing or, you know, printing, you know, millions and billions of dollars. Um, I think it could have a very similar effect that you see with the market. Now, I think you'd have to print like Zimbabwe for, to, for that to happen with, you know, trillions of dollars in circulation. I think that would, you know, you'd have to print a lot, but they are printing a lot. They have been printing a lot for six years or so. You know, I'd have to look at those numbers exactly. But um, yeah, it, it's very interesting to see what's happening there. Um, you know, they're, well, the other thing is, is when you sell a stock, and you, you, you know, you, you say, okay, I'm going to give you $70 for this stock. You get that money instantly, but technically that goes into what's like, a, it's like a middleman, right? So you have the buyer and the seller and there's a third, you know, there's a, they flow through. Um, I don't know exactly what they're, I don't remember off the top of my head what they're exactly they're called, but they basically regulate and miss and say, okay, this guy has this money. This person is paying for it. And it's like a, like a brokerage kind of thing. Right. So if one party ends up going bankrupt, 
during that transaction, that, that brokerage company covers the fees on it. So, you know, that was another reason why they stopped because transactions were going so quickly um, that they just didn't have the funds to cover potential losses. Right. So when they were, when they were buying stocks so quickly and and selling so quickly um, those brokerage firms weren't able to cover the potential losses. If one party said, Oh, we're bankrupt during it. So it's interesting. I'm curious to see how the fallout from it happens and, and what happens with it. It's definitely going to be something I'm following for the next couple of months to see what happens with it. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Six or five million Redditors broke the system and, uh, um, it kind of just shows how fragile it is. And, it, it is a very weird system. Like, you know, for one, there's no way to really ever prove that you have ownership over um, the stock. And, and, you know, what the, these hedge funds have been doing is they're, they're, the markets are just so heavily manipulated and distorted. It, it's hard to really know what's true. So like, you know, you, you talked a little bit about inflation right now. And like, if you, if you go on the street and you ask the average person, like, have things gotten more expensive over the past 10 years? Is it harder to like, make ends meet, everybody will say yes. Like very few people will say no. Um, and, you know, it's moving a lot quicker than what people say it is. And, you know, it, it's hard. Like one of the things that's come up this week, that's been, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty well known that precious metals are, are heavily distorted and suppressed market, you know, because gold and silver, are some of the best things to measure inflation against, you know, because they're relatively scarce and, um, you know, you can physically own it. And yet, you know, these b- big banks like JP Morgan keep on suppressing the prices and, you know, they got busted for it last year um, and got slapped with a little bit of little fine. Um, and, and so it's like really hard to measure. So if you take all the metrics, if you take CPI, which is a garbage metric, and you just say like, you know, this is what inflation is, like we're not experiencing inflation, yet the house prices are going through the roof, healthcare is going through the roof, education is going through the roof, daycare, you know, you name it. The things that people actually have to pay for are, are getting more expensive. Um, it's, it's kind of bad. <laughs> like I think, yeah, I think that a part of that is... Um... I see it a lot of industries that are heavily regulated by government are um, seeing, you know, high inflation rates, high um, um, increase in costs. Housing is manipulated by government through, um, through zoning laws and other things like that. Like having tiny houses is becoming like um, a lot of cities are cracking down on having tiny houses which ultimately hurts, you You know, it's funny, we call it a tiny house, but like, you know, my great grandma, my grandma, my great grandma, you know, great grandparents in general would have just called those houses, you know, a thousand square foot house. Like that's what I grew up in until I was a teenager, right? We had a, 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 a three bedroom, one bath, like thousand square foot house with a carport. You know, it's not, you know, now when you think of a house, you're thinking, four or five bedrooms, you're thinking 2000 plus square feet, you know, it's not the same as it was when, when our, when our families were, um, were going, growing up. And I think part of that is, you know, we have a high standard of living here in the United States. So I think that's, that's part of it. Like we like our space, we like our, you know, you, you, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, 
you have a podcast studio or, you know, I have a, I have a room up, you know, in my house where uh, my gun safes are and I reload ammo in it. Right. Like that's not something that my grandfather would have had. I mean, he may have had a shed in the back. Um, so I think, I think where we see the most inflation is where the government is involved the most education, obviously, um, you, I mean, gosh, you know, it's so funny to hear, you know, uh, the baby boomers talk about, oh, you know, you can work part-time and afford college. The fuck you can, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it is expensive as shit. And they complain and bitch and moan about people with student loans. Well, guess what? You guys created an industry that, that that's preys on young, young, um, impressionable people to take out tens of thousands of dollars in debt. I mean, they would be better off getting small business loans for 20, 20, 50 grand or whatever it is versus taking out those student loans. I, I, I don't see, I don't know of any measure that would say that they're going to be more or less successful doing one or the other. You know, I think it's a crapshoot. I think most, most people don't even work in the industry that they uh, went to school for, for four years or six years or whatever, whatever their, their, their degrees in. So yeah, it's, you know, the government manipulates the market you know, um, well, think of LASIK for a second, right? LASIK is not treated, not covered by your traditional medical um, med uh, medical care, right? Medical care has skyrocketed, um, you know, without question since Obamacare was passed, uh, the Affordable, Affordable Care Act, right? The Unaffordable Care Act um, passed, but LASIK has gotten so cheap. You can get LASIK for under $1,000 an eye and you know, while normal healthcare and normal medicine is in skyrocketing prices, um, LASIK is, is dropping dramatically and being better. So you're getting better quality. You're getting a better product cheaper than what you could 20 years ago. So it's just, it's interesting to see, um, you know, how government involvement, uh, can manipulate a market and you know somebody who who would be really good for you to talk to about um medicine if uh, uh, the medical field if you were interested in it is um, dr kyle varner um if you're interested in talking with him i would be happy to um to introduce you guys because he he's a, a libertarian and he does a lot of volunteer work in south america or he did before covid um and uh a wealth of knowledge, great libertarian guy. I like him a lot. Um, got to hang out with him several times and he, he very much opposes government intervention and medicine and, and is looking at ways to do things differently. Yeah. It, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. That'd be great to connect with him sometime. Um, a lot of people just don't have basic understandings of the way that markets work. Um, and just to give like a brief rundown is things are supposed to get less expensive over time as the technology gets better, you know, and technology has obviously been getting a lot better. And a good, good, you know, example of this is Tesla and the way that they become more efficient and they're, you know, they start with these super high price premium vehicles and they're working their way down to make consumer vehicles and they're bringing everything more in-house, you know, or if you look at Amazon and the way that they're able to, to lower prices and make things, um, uh, 
a lot more affordable for people to get inconvenient because I mean, just, just to get like free deliveries to your house. I mean, if you look at like 10 years ago, how expensive it was to order things online um, compared to, you know, getting it like within a day for free, it's, it's unbelievable. And that for one, that's capitalism. And then two, and well, you know, you can argue about that because we're not like really in a fully capitalist system, but, but that's just the way that technology works is deflationary. But the problem with that is it's the complete opposite of the system that we're in right now. We're, we're in an inflationary system, you know, so, so products like that are actually, you know, very difficult for, um, you know, the central bankers to deal with and, and wrap their minds around. Um, and, uh, it's yeah it's kind of counter to what we have and i think that's a big reason why we see you know these massive rises and things like medical like you were saying medical care should be getting less expensive over time instead of more expensive and you know if you look at like the efficiencies um that they have today like if you go into an old medical records office like 15 years ago where everybody was having to sort through all the medical records on paper and now you know a doctor can just pull up a chart on a computer and that's like yeah, on a tablet. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, that's like the perfect example of like why costs should be lowering, but yeah, people don't realize that like government subsidies equal bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's one of the things is um, you know, when you go for a doctor's appointment um, one of the things that like you, you don't even think about, but they have to do so much documentation, right. In order to get it through the insurance companies, because insurance are required to have so much, you know, certain things, uh, reported and, and so many questions asked and they want to know, you know, stuff that's largely irrelevant to your, why you're visiting the doctor. And so now you have, right. So you have a doctor and in that doctor, you have a nurse and a nursing assistant and a front, you know, a front desk receptionist, and you have a billing specialist, and now you have a scribe, so that they can, the scribe is going to be in the office taking notes with the doctor, so that the doctor can focus on the patient, and not filling out paperwork the entire time. So now you've just added, you know, they've added another layer, in order to comply with some regulation from, you know, either from insurance companies or from government. And most things roll, you know, shit rolls downhill, it doesn't roll up. Um, you know, no doctors like, oh, I want I want to hire more people and be more out of touch with my patients. That's not how, why most people are doctors. Um, yeah, it, it's a very interesting um, thing to look at. And yeah, you're right. Like uh, Amazon can offer free shipping on two day shipping on a lot of products because they have efficiencies and it, it, they learned that people would buy from them more often if they can guarantee to get you a product in two or three days versus, you know, waiting a week or even longer. So what do they do? You know, they've um, created warehouses all across the country that house the most common uh, um, bought items, right? That, you know, 100,000 items in those warehouses and they've got the most common items there. Where I live close to me, from where I live, there's three Amazon warehouses from me. Um, not, not quite that I could throw a stick at, you know, a stone out, but within 10 miles, there's three Amazon warehouses. Um, you know, they, one's a returns warehouse, but the other two ship out. Um, Amazon recently launched their own, um, delivery trucks, right. 
So now they're competing against FedEx, UPS, and the and uh, USPS, and uh, you know uh, other delivery companies. Right now, UPS has their own. Why? Because it was cheaper for them. They understood that um, FedEx was going to charge them, um, you know, uh, X plus, you know, ten percent, where they could just pay X. And it's the same thing that oil barons, you know, the oil, you know, the the oil barons realized when they, you know, they they realized that they could they could ship their oil cheaper if they owned their own rail lines. So it's the same thing we're dealing with today. And now Amazon's buying their own planes so that they can de deliver their packages faster. So you know, there's they have an incentive based on earnings to do a better job for their customers and to do it cheaper so that they remain solvent. And we don't have that with government. You have so many inefficiencies in government because ultimately they can have shit customer service because you have no other option. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it uh, ensures jobs and it ensures power. And uh, that's kind of the uh, incentives in government, it seems like is power and, and job security so yeah well you know when um you know if you had to dig a ditch right i've heard this analogy before if you had to dig a ditch if you wanted to do it efficiently you would do it with a backhoe right if your if your goal was to hire people you do it with spoons you know <laughs> you dig that ditch with spoons instead of a backhoe because you realize that like you're trying to hire people and that you know we had that we had that happen in this country where during the great depression the government, the government literally would pay people to move rocks, move stacks and stacks of rocks out of riverbeds and, you know, just waste millions of dollars for no, for no reason, from what I can gather, why, to, why were they moving these rocks? I can't tell, but you know, just that's, that's what you, that's the mindset you get from government. They can do something because they have the money and they want to do it. That's why we, you know, study the, you know, gender of, you know, frogs mating, while high on marijuana or some something you know some ridiculous study that nobody in their right mind would think to to, to research but we're gonna pay 2.7 million dollars for it yeah yeah and uh so yeah uh as far as the libertarian party i mean it, it seems like there's a lot of dis disinformation and representation as far as you know, I think a lot of people would be surprised that a lot of people in the Libertarian Party are, um, you know, like pro-gay marriage and and different various ideas that are, are typically reserved for the um, the Democratic Party or kind of the progressive sector. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you were to sum up what the Libertarian Party is about in just kind of a short spiel, what would you... Um, how would you explain it? The Libertarian Party, the best way to describe it, it is, um, it is focused on individual responsibility. Um, we don't care if you are gay, straight, bi, trans. We don't give two shits what you identify as. Um, we try to be respectful of how you want to be identified, obviously. Um, but ultimately we don't care how you identify or what you want, you know, how you want to live your life, as long as it doesn't affect other people. 
right? So we have uh, in the Libertarian Party, we have what's called the non-aggression principle. And so, you know, you don't, you know, we call it the NAP and you don't, you know, you're, you're, you're not initiating violence against somebody. And that might be as simple as, you know, um, noise pollution or, um, you know, certain things like that, right? Don't, don't be a dick to your neighbor. That's kind of what it is. And, you know, that's kind of the essence of the, of, of the party is, um, is having that personal responsibility to a take care of yourself and your and be respectful of your neighbors and to respect your your neighbor's property and their wishes too um the the libertarian party is very big on property rights um you know there's there's some people that you know don't have some different ideas on property uh within the party and that's that's fine we can have those discussions but largely the the, the libertarian party respects property rights and they push for individual responsibility. Yeah, it's uh, pretty, I think it's pretty simple and easy to say that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party do not respect property rights. And that's why we have things like civil asset forfeiture, um, where they can just take your stuff if they want to for without any due process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a horrible process, right? There's, you know, they, they seize your truck or they seize your laptop or whatever. And then they charge it. They charge a laptop with a crime. Like your laptop did anything. It's an inanimate object. It has no, you know, it has no uh, action that wasn't, you know, it has no input. It has no output without inputs, right? Just like any computer. If you're going to, you don't, you know, a computer doesn't do anything by itself. You have to have inputs to it and it runs a process and it spits out whatever that result is. And it's the same thing with with computers or vehicles or whatever, you know, a, a truck doesn't, you know, whatever, you know, it, if, if it's drugs, right, because it always, it almost always leads back to the war on drugs, right? Um, trucks don't, trucks don't, they haul, uh, they may haul a drug, but they're, they're just, they're just a means of getting it done, right? They're, they're an efficient way to get it done. The person driving that vehicle is the one doing it. And of course, you know, drugs shouldn't even be illegal in the first place. You should be able to do whatever drug you want. Um, and I say that as somebody who's never done anything more than, uh, you know, some, some, some mild painkillers when I was in my early twenties, but not recreationally. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, the Republican Party campaigns like they're libertarians and governs like Democrats. And the Democrat Party is no different. They can they campaign um, and get, and go through their primaries like they're progressive socialist. And then when they get to the primaries uh, or when they get to the general elections, they try to get as moderate as possible. And, you know, the success of um the, you know, I hate to say legalization of gay marriage, but the rec the recognition of um, marriage equality is what I would probably call it, um, was championed by libertarians and has been. It didn't become a popular idea for Democrats to believe in uh, marriage equality until 2008 when Barack Obama um, took office. So, you know, for them to sit there and, and wave, wave, a victory flag like that was a big victory for them it's not that was a victory for libertarians and it's the same way when this drug war is about to end as um now we have recreational marijuana usage here in the state of arizona that's not 
a win for Democrats. Um, you know, we have two people sitting in the White House who have probably uh, been some of the biggest culprits of locking up minorities for minor drug possession in the country. Don't sit there and pretend. They cannot sit there and pretend like it is their victory. It is a libertarian victory. Libertarians may not necessarily be winning at the ballot box, but we are definitely winning in the culture war. Yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. And and I, I'm, you know, a very libertarian-minded person and, and have been for a bit, uh, especially when I learned about economics. I think, like, um, you know, I grew up kind of progressive, moved out to Arizona, became a Republican, you know, because I liked guns and whatever. And then um, really <laughs> saw through just the, the sham, which is the, you know, what you've been calling the duopoly party system. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, letting people do what they want, not putting people in prison for victimless crimes. And, uh, you know, those are very progressive ideas <laughs> you know, to sort of in this day and age. But um, yeah, I mean, the idea of personal responsibility is huge. And, and I think it's some, I, I think part of the reason why we're seeing kind of a move away from it and a demand of government is because people are being disempowered, you know, and we're watching the growth of government happen a lot of it. You know, I had Charles Heller on last week and, you know, he was talking about kind of the destruction of the, the American family structure. And that takes a lot away from the, um, individual, you know, uh, responsibility, um, that's really driven into us, you know, because like, if you look at the war on drugs, war on drugs, it's destroyed families. If you mm -hmm. look at like what's happened to us economically, it's destroyed families. Like the millennial generation, we can't afford houses, you know, we can't afford to raise kids and, um, you know, and that, that really takes away. And, you know, you have somebody coming in that has the media as, um, you know, their, their voice champion, whatever their ideas are. And they, you know, blame somebody else and are like, give me more power to fix your problems that we created, you know, and people are like, yeah, that sounds great. Like we need these things changed. And yeah, I, I, I see what you, I, I definitely agree with a lot of those points. Um, I do think the government creates a lot of the problems that they seek to uh, fix and that they tried to fix was created by them in the first place. And we see that, especially with something like uh, Flint. Uh, they created the, own, the, the problem and now, you know, th they still don't have clean water. Um, you know, you know we, we can spend, you know, trillions of dollars overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and send, you know, millions and millions of dollars overseas to, uh, to um, Israel or Pakistan or any of these other countries. But goddamn, these people in Flint, Michigan are still without clean drinking water. Like, you know, ultimately, I, I want I want there to be a free market solution to that. But in the meantime, like we have the system we have, um, you know, you know, if I could snap my fingers, you know, I'd make a lot of changes. Would those changes be as great as I hope they are? I, I certainly hope though, hope so. That's what I'm fighting for. That's what, you know, a, a lot of libertarians across this country are fighting for is is for our ideas to be implemented in public policy. And, you know. I think, you know, I, you, you made a point and I'm trying to remember what it was, but, um, you know, I, I just think, I just think the way that 
we've been governing for the past years has led to you know the, the nanny state right where you're so used to um government taking care of you and you're not having to struggle um man i've never once been on an unemployment in my life and i've been since i graduated from college nine years ago i have been unemployed for over two years you know you know through stretches right you know six months here six months there and so it's really you know not that I wouldn't if I had to, because definitely I'm going to feed my family before my family starves, right? But man, I that would be such a hit to my own pride to to have to go and take a, a government handout. And not that I, you know, I'm a caring person. I really, you know, I really try to see the best in people, even when they may not deserve it. Um, I don't want to see people suffer and I don't want to see people be hurt, but I don't see the government's solution as actually helping. I see it as, uh, you know, perpetuating the situation and, and making it last longer than it has to. Um, and we see that now with current lockdowns and everything else where, you know, we've lost about 700,000 um, small businesses in this country because of these lockdowns. And that's an income that, that people have lost that they, you know, a life's work that they've lost or a family business that they've lost that they may never be able to get to rebuild. And we have seen record profits going to um, the wealthiest people in this country. And, you know, I've, I find it really interesting that when, the, when, when Donald Trump was president, we had a Democratic Party who was very fiercely against, um, you know, the, the two martini lunch, right? They were very big. They're against big business and they're really anti-business and advocated to, for these things that would hurt businesses, small businesses, not not the large ones. Um, and, and what's happened is we've had lockdowns all across the country at the state level that have affected small business and it's led to the rich being richer, you know, like, I mean, the, the richest man on earth now is, is, you know, owns Amazon and he ships products all across this country. And I think he's done some, you know, that's, I'm not trying to talk, talk badly of him. Cause I think, I think, um, you know, Elon or any of these guys have done some, some great things and they've done some innovative things, but they rely heavily on basically having a monopoly. They, they rely heavily on, um, government to, um, passing government regulation to keep the entry, the barrier to entry, to compete against them high. And, you know, we had, I, we had spoken prior to getting online, we had talked a little bit about um, censorship on the internet. And, you know, I don't see, I don't see how, um, you know, if it, I, I don't want to see censorship on the internet. I don't want to see Facebook deciding who can get, what can get posted and what can't. My, my worry is that um, we either have to treat things like Facebook and other social media sites, Twitter and such like um, utilities where they can't discriminate and they can't choose and they can't pick sides um, and ha and which essentially gives them a monopoly or, you know, under, under current law, we either have to figure out, you know, a balance between, are they, a, are they a utility that can't discriminate and can't choose and pick and say no to customers um, or consumers, I shouldn't say customers, I should say consumers, 
or do we treat them like private businesses that are allowed, you know, and should have that choice and should have that operation, uh, you know, the, the discretion who they want their customers to be. You know, I don't think in this age that, you know, like, I don't think you can function as a business without having some, some presence on social media. So I, I struggle with that, you know, myself of how we should treat something like Facebook or Twitter or you know, any of those other uh, platforms, you know, um, in this day and age based on, on, on those factors. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And I think like looking back at history, um, one of the most monumental points in history was the advent of the printing press and how that really dispersed knowledge in, in a way that was never possible before and led to um, the Enlightenment and eventually the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, the internet in a lot of ways is, is disruptive like that, you know, and again, Reddit, you know, perfect example or WikiLeaks or the Silk Road, you know, all, all of these stories of um, things radically being changed or, or like the memes that just killed um, Hillary's campaign you know, well, that was WikiLeaks too, but, um, uh, but you just like, look at the, the way that these things are disruptive. And I think that, you know, it'll, um, be a hard fought battle, you know, to get there and, and really improve, but you know, it w can be one that is won because like, if you look at like, um, the Gutenberg printing press, like, you know, Gutenberg was printing out Bibles too. And those were heavily suppressed by um, the Catholic church. And, uh, you know, that was a very underground movement that, you know, was not inherently wrong, was definitely morally right. It was um, bringing people cr closer um, into having their own experience with, with God. And, um, and it, you know, I think we're seeing that today, you know, in a lot of regards and, um, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Um, you know, I hadn't really thought about that point in a long time. But yeah, you're right. The printing press, prior to the printing press, um, reading was, you know, the ability to be a, a, a literate and be able to read was rare. And so, you know, you were you were a higher class, you know, considered to be a higher class or a, you know, a, you know, you a, a, like a higher. I don't want to say like higher being that makes it sound like they're they're gods on earth but you you know you were seen as different you know you were it was a distinguishing feature to have to be able to read and write right not everybody not the common person was able to read and write so it was reserved for the political elite the um clergy um probably some um more well off to do um merchants um so that's a definitely an interesting thing to think about and um of, of how uh, the printing press changed the world and how the internet is changing the world now, like you said, um, the Silk Road or, or any of these other things, Free Ross, by the way, um, you know, like what a fucking crock of shit that is. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the internet, the internet is a huge thing. It's not, you know, God, I can't believe that people thought at one point that the internet would go away once it was unleashed. You know, it's not as, you know, unfortunately, Al Gore was wrong and it's not a series of tubes. Um, um, and, you know, it, it's revolutionized the way that so many industries operate and function. Um, it's the Internet's never going to go away. It's evolving even to this day. I mean, just think about, 
you know, thinking about cell phone, you know, I was marveling a couple of years ago, I was working in a, in a um, bottling factory at the time I was working as the supervisor for a bottling plant. And I was marveling at how I was able to download an hour and a half long podcast to my phone with no wires attached to it in like three minutes. And I just like it. I just thought like, what a freaking time to be alive, you know, to, to be able to accomplish that and have this, you know, my cell phone in my pocket that I could search through anything and, and do so much with, and it's just, the internet is such a fascinating thing. The world will never be the same after the internet. There's no way it will be. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what Bitcoin is. And, um, I think, I think the lesson to be taken away, you know, if, if you really look at history is that, um, there's always going to be a battle, um, between the established order and, um, you know, other people looking for, um, something that's different or better. And, uh, you know, I mean, you look at Galileo, um, and just, I mean, there's so many different examples of that, of like, you know, people just pushing back against things that were inherently good. And it's, it, I think it's really important and trying to get the message out there that like people have power, they have personal responsibility. Like we are responsible for the things happening in our community, in our lives and our family's lives. And we have to do things. It doesn't mean like going and doing stupid stuff, like storming the Capitol. Like that's not that wasn't a solution. It wasn't effective. It wasn't, you know, good at all, but like, you know, doing stuff like you're doing, you know, with getting involved in a political party that isn't corrupted in the same way that the democratic and Republican parties are. And like, yeah. So, um, it's, uh, it is an exciting time. I mean, we're, we're in a time of great upheaval, you know, and we have the ability to like really leave our mark on history. You know, if we don't just sit by and apathy and watch Netflix all day, but. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. I think 2020, um, you know, that time between, you know, September when we had those fires in Australia and um, all throughout 2020 into, you know, the, um, storming of the Capitol um, and, and on the sixth, um, a lot of that time is going to is going to be you know thinking about it in a decade from now when it's in a history book, right? How's it going to be written? And you know, I really hope you know. So I had the okay. So for for some uh, uh, some reference, I, I was lucky enough, and we have an organization here in Phoenix that focuses on having civil conversations about um, tough topics, right? And so we just had um, a meeting, there was uh, 20 of us or so that met for dinner and had a couple cocktails and stuff like that. And we got to have a conversation and talk about riots. And you know, what, what is a, what, when is a, when is a peaceful protest become a riot, right? When does our riots justified even? And, you know, we had some conversations about, um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer and and what happened with those um, with those um, protests and we had the same conversation about um, the events that happened on January sixth and if those events were um, a riot or or um, if you would consider those a riot or if you would consider that a peaceful protest and I think it was it really opened up my eyes about you know um, you know, 
can you have violence at a peaceful protest? Absolutely. You know, I think you can. I think that you're, you're, you know, when you have a large gathering like that, there's always going to be a riled up, um, you know, group of folks that are not, that don't think clearly, that don't act rationally. And I don't think it's fair to classify an entire movement or an entire thing based on the actions of a small minority. And so, you know, we had one person who had said, you know, I have some friends that were at the events on January 6th and they're being called terrorists, but they didn't even know what was happening at the Capitol. And, you know, I, I started thinking about that and I don't know exactly off the top of my head, how many people were at the Capitol that day, but I, I see that. I understand that now, you know, a little bit better that, yeah, it was a small group of people that ultimately stormed that Capitol. And those group of that, that group of people should be called, you know, terrorist or whatever. I think terrorist is a little overused in today's vernacular personally, same with communists or socialists or Nazis or anything like that. I think all those things that are now used as pejoratives, I think are overused. So they, they're losing their meaning personally. But, you know, I started thinking about that in context to a lot of the BLM movements and how I felt about um, how, how, you know, relatively, you know, compared to the number of people who participated in those protests, how many of those people participated in destruction of private property. Now I'm talking specifically about property, private property, not uh, public property. I don't give two fucks about you lighting a police, de police de uh, department on fire. Who gives a fuck? Um, but you know, the, the destruction of private property is something that um, I think um, really tarnished that movement. And unfortunately, you know, we'll, we'll, will leave a negative impact, leads to a lot of negative connotations about those, um, those events. You know, I largely agree with what the Black Lives Matter um, protests were about, personally. Um, I, you know, a little bit about my history, I used to be a military police officer when I was in the police, when I was in the army, I was a military police officer. I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice and criminology. And I became a libertarian in college and decided that I could not be a part of that system. And so I had to change and figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I just see, you know, a lot of um, unfortunate events and things taken out of context and people jumping to conclusions about things that they don't really know about. You know, I don't know, you know, obviously there was people that were upset. They were at the events on January 6th that had no part in storming the Capitol. And I get it. If you're angry about something, yeah, you should absolutely air your grievances. You should wave your flags and you should flip some middle fingers towards some government officials because fuck those bastards. But ultimately, like choosing to storm a capital and threatening to kill people, I think that puts pushes over the line, right? Like I, I think there's a time for that. I don't think we're at that time. Um, you know, hopefully we don't get to where we're past where we where we can affect change. I really am hoping the next couple of years that the rhetoric and the um, the buildup and the divisiveness that are in politics can go away. Um, that have been built up over the you know the last four years, unfortunately, under under um, President Trump. I'm hoping those can go away. Um, you know, I, I really I really do because it's hard to have a civil conversation with people now about politics and about policy, um, members of the public, right? Like you can have 
most most politicians are level-headed enough even on the state state and local level that you can have a conversation with them even if it doesn't make any progress but man you get people so riled up on social media that um you can't have a conversation you know and you can't you 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 can't try to change somebody's mind you can't have somebody look at something from a different perspective because they're so stuck on you're the enemy and i don't give two shits what they say because they don't know who you are you're hiding behind a profile on the internet rather than you know being a person in, in public right being a it's so much different arguing over the internet versus sitting at a table you know sharing a drink at a table with somebody and having a conversation about you know what 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 this uh what this event means or what you know how people felt about you know x y or z so i think it's important and i really hope that um i really hope that you know the landscape of that can change but still at the same time you know fuck fuck the fuck the duopoly but at the same time like i have a lot of respect for people within those parties um you know that are you know at least able to um not sit on the fence but I do hope that we can get to where we can start having a lot of conversations like we're having today. You know, I think we agree on a lot of things. I don't, you know, we don't know each other enough to know that we agree on everything, but, um, you know, having more, more dialogue that's, um, centered around, um, understanding and trying to, um, trying to be open to what's going on. I think that's going to be something great that we, hopefully can can start uh, working towards in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I, I, I really appreciate that, that, you know, I think for people listening, that's probably going to be a breath of fresh air, you know, with the polarization that people are seeing, like people want stability. They want sanity. They don't like, I mean, we're, we're naturally drawn to this like hyperbolic craziness. And, and that's what, social media really is like built to like promote and right. um yeah and, and we kind of fall into it um there's yeah just outrage culture pretty much of like people just gearing up for war on twitter or whatever but um yeah i've had a lot of people on the podcast that are from all sorts of different backgrounds that have been able to change my mind on things and i think you know the types of conversations like these are so important because um you know, people have different perspectives. They have different understandings of things. Um, they might have better information than, you know, you might have better information on a topic than I do. And, and so it's important for us to be able to listen and, and to grow with it. And that doesn't necessarily mean like giving up your values because everybody has different values. And I think that's important to stick to those, but you know, it's, I mean, so many things have changed. Um, um, in my opinion, over the last few years of just like learning, like because yeah but um yeah i really appreciate you coming on um where are some good places like if somebody was gonna get hooked up with the libertarian party in arizona how how would they go about doing that sure so um the best place to get a hold of the libertarian party would be our website uh, azlp.org um of course we are on uh, facebook um we're working on um you know, spreading our wings into other um, platforms. You know, we just um, are lucky enough to have somebody who was working on the, the Joe Jorgensen campaign here locally, who um, 
we is probably going to be very active on her, helping us with our social media because that's what she helped with for that campaign. And so we're really thankful for um, her name's Lauren. And so, you know, thank you, Lauren, for volunteering and doing that work because um, I am not a social media expert at all. Um, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been banned from, from Facebook myself and I'm on my second profile. So, um, you know, don't, don't do what I do. Um, and, uh, by the way, I got banned for like commenting on like Taco Bell tacos. <laughs> like, like that's, that's really what I got banned over. So, um, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit ridiculous, but azlp.org, you can find us on social, on Facebook, um, Arizona Libertarian Party. We do have a group and a page. Um, the group allows a little bit more discussion um, and openness, you know, and, and to have those um, policy type questions. And, you know, we do have monthly meetings that are open to the public. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have a link that I can say go to here, but if you follow our social media, you'll see those posted. Uh, we try to be as open and as, po as possible about what's going on. You know, there are certain things that, um, you know, we, we can't just, we can't disclose everything, but um, we try to be as open and transparent as we possibly can with everybody. Um, and ultimately the thing that, that you guys need to realize is if you are a libertarian, um, we're, we, you know, we might be classified as like the leaders of the organization. Right. But what people don't realize is, um, that, that you, while you might be the leader of the organization and you might be, um, you know, seen as a leader in the organization, really your job is to uh, fulfill the wishes of the people who you represent. And so, you know, the way I look at that is seeing is how, you know, if, if you don't like the way something's happening, if you don't like the way that we're messaging, um, help us. Um, you know, we may, we may ultimately disagree and not, not agree on it at all. But, um, you know, if you're just going to sit there and be angry and uh, type away on your computer rather than getting involved, um, are you helping? Because, uh, you know, everybody is going to be marketed to a little bit differently. Everybody's going to see things a little bit from a little bit different perspective. And so um, we're open to those uh, conversations and, and to having people involved. And uh, yeah, I think that's generally it. Or, or um, you know, nationally, the lp.org is the national party's website. Um, I, I happen to also be the assistant treasurer for the national party. So um, yeah, definitely go, you know, go to lp.org and, you know, there's a membership there. It's $25 a year for the, for the, you know, basic level of membership. And that kind of lets us know that, Hey, um, you know, we're, you know, first of all, it helps us with things like ballot access lawsuits. Right. So um, we generally spend, um, about a million dollars every four years over the course of four years, we spent about a million dollars fighting for ballot access in different States and circulating petitions and things like that. So, um, you know, the $25 really helps, um, get activists, uh, gets clipboards and activist hands and gets them knocking on doors to try and a, try and get candidates on ballots and B try to fight against laws that are, um, you know, used to unjustly keep us off the ballot. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. And I'll, I'll definitely be uh, subscribing to that after this. And uh, I, uh, yeah, again, people underestimate the power of what they can do with their money, you know, money is their voice. And, you know, you can um, put your stimulus check into GameStop, or you can put it into things that you believe in. And uh, um, 
where, where are some good places that people can follow your work personally? Um, you know, when I lost my main account, I lost my uh, public profile page and I haven't created an, another one. Just, you know, it happened in September. And so that was right before the election. And so we went literally from election to um, from, from the election into, um, you know, our county party stuff and into the state party stuff. So I probably will end up having um, making a, a public profile page again. Um, I'll I, I don't know. I just haven't done it yet. Been a little sidetracked with uh, all the financial reports I have to file. Um, I actually have to file one tonight. So, um, but um, yeah, you know, you can follow me on Facebook. Just look me up, uh, you know, Robert Allen Pepitone. If you find me on there, I probably will end up making a, a separate page just for, uh, so I can kind of have some separation and hopefully I don't lose my public profile page again. Cause unfortunately when that happened, I lost, you know, pictures of my you know daughter at Halloween and, and things like that. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to do that at some point, but uh, for now you can just follow my, follow my Facebook page. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time and, uh, um, thanks for doing real, real quick. One last question. Any predictions for season three of the Mandalorian? Oh man. You know, oh gosh. Um, You know, I'm hoping that they, um, you know, chronologically, I'm trying to think of where they left off. Um, I don't know. I don't know how are you into, are you big into Star Wars yourself? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is after, um, after all of the, the events of, um, you know, Darth Vader and all that jazz. So, you know, we're 20 years past that time or so roughly. Um, you know, I'm hoping we get to see some other um, Jedi's come about, but I don't know that they're gonna they're gonna focus much on the Jedi's and this and the Mandalorian. I, you know, they've got six different shows that they're coming out or seven different shows, and so it's an exciting time to be a kind of be a Star Wars fan. Uh, my wife and I were, uh, I, you know, I get I get bonuses at work, um, performance bonuses and stuff like that, and we were gonna buy lightsabers, <laughs> like dueling lightsabers that we could actually fight with, just you know kind of nerding out on it um you know i i would like to see them introduce new some of the more jedi some of the other jedis that are you know but i, I don't know that they will i think they're going to stick to the mandalorian story um maybe they'll end up you know i'm curious to see what they do with the with the dark saber and all that jazz too um um yeah i don't know i don't want to make any predictions particular because I, I don't i don't know I like to be, I like to be surprised and like to see, you know, I'm going to see what John, John Favreau does with it. Um, I've liked a lot of his work. I like him as a person. I find him very personable. Um, totally would drink beers and shoot tequila with that guy if I could, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's um, seeing Luke Skywalker at the end of that. It was just such a great ending to such a terrible year. Um, so it was definitely a pick up, pick me up for me, but yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yeah. 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 I'd like to stay in touch with you. Uh, I really appreciate you having me and uh, spending, you know, allowing me to talk and have a conversation with you. Sure. That was a really fun conversation with Robert Allen Pepitone, man. You know, he, he's definitely like, these are the types of conversations I like having because they're inspiring. You know, he, he's a person with a vision you know, that, that really is willing to uh, 
take a beating for a cause that he believes in. And, and when I say that, you know, he, he described how demoralizing it is to just watch uh, these unfair obstacles placed in your path, you know, when all you're trying to do is really uh, have a voice in the political process. And, you know, it's one thing if it was a fair election process, you know, where the rules uh, and barriers to entry were uh, equal, but it, it's not. And he explained how that is. Um, but yeah, I, I'm guilty of being uh, pretty apathetic when it comes to politics. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things why I feel so passionate about Bitcoin is because, you know, we have a we really have a way to create a change in our monetary system. And uh, I, I see it as uh, a technology that really has power to change people's lives in our communities, you know, where people can get off of zero and start building wealth and protecting the value that they create. Um, and he has a very similar, uh, you know, idea of like why politics are, are important for him, you know, that people can actually be represented by, um, you know, people that actually have their best interests in mind and that, you know, the government can get back to a place of where it should be, where it's, subservient to the people instead of the people being subservient to it and yeah i mean it was inspiring definitely i um i uh feel like i need to uh get more involved in the political aspect of things and uh i mean the first thing i did was i went and joined the libertarian party and donated the money um a very small amount 25 dollars and uh um yeah and that's cool you know and uh hopefully can be more involved in the future but that being said uh if you're still listening make sure to get to your local bitcoin meetup meet some local bitcoiners get excited look for solutions and how you can change your community um really excited about what's happening here in arizona and in tucson we just had our first bitcoin meetup great conversation uh it was on zoom we're hopefully gonna be in person uh sooner or later and uh yeah there's some great stuff happening up in uh, phoenix so i'll keep you posted on that and thanks for listening